tell you this. I don't remember a day in the off season as, or let's just say, let's just say a week. I don't remember a week in the off season as momentous as this week has been in Major League Baseball. The only one that I can compare it to, and this is just off the top of my head, was when they went before, was, was it the Senate in 2005 with the testimony uh, when they called them in for, the, for steroids, or was it a House committee? Yeah, the steroids yeah. committee. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, the, the moment where Raphael Palmero wagged his finger at Congress and uh, <laughs> told him, yeah, I've, I've never done steroids, period, or something of that nature, and then not seven months later. Uh, <laughs> You are under oath, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That, that was before Twitter, too. So even back then, and that, that was crazy, but it doesn't have that same feel where just every 30 seconds, it seems like something new is, is, is popping out. I also uh, think it's this, this, this cycle of news that we're in since the 28s, 2010s, the, uh, the idea that you know, news happens in seconds. There is no uh, right. later, later on. <laughs> I mean, and you've been in, obviously, been in news since since the 80s, was it, when you started? 19, 1984 was my first paying job in television news. I was the Vitafont operator at a show that preceded Larry King Live at CNN. Oh. And I would have to type in the name of the cities that the callers were from. So oh, I, had to, I had to memorize Albuquerque. <laughs> you and Weird Al Yankovic, which is great. Right, right. And I never had, you know, needed to spell Albuquerque that many times in my yeah. life. But um, you can't look it up. You know, you don't have time. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun. Netanyahu. <laughs> you know, yes. I had, I, had to, I had to learn all these words that I had not really much experience. And, uh, yeah, that was my first paying job while I was a sophomore in college I, in I New York City. More, I would love nothing more than to unlearn the word Netanyahu at this point, honestly. If, if yeah, him. yeah. You know, but I, I think he's got a strong arm and, you know, he's been in <laughs> rehab and I think, he, you know, he's, he's ready for spring. He and Sid Finch are competing, <laughs> I think, for the fifth spot, aren't they? Yeah, let's make it literary. Why not? <laughs> uh, I, am, I am really disappointed, though. As a Mets fan, I have to say, you know, I know that everyone says this was expected or at least anticipated or possible. But since November, Mets fans have really had this weird thing that we don't usually have, which is called hope. Uh-huh. And, you know, Beltron is a known entity. He's a Latino. He's, he's someone with um, uh, a history with really a great work commitment. And according to the investigation, he also was involved in the um, cheating scandal. So mm -hmm. even though he was the only player named and even though he wasn't a manager and didn't organize it, it seemed that he did, uh, you know, have some part in moving the monitors around, and uh, it's just, it's, it's, he's tainted. He had to go, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once they got rid of Pinch and Alex Cora, at that point, if you hang on to Carlos Beltran, the only question you're going to be answering for the next three or four months, at least, is why is Carlos Beltran still your manager? <laughs> and did you cheat to win? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time they'd win, the question would be, and what signals did you use, and how did you cheat? Uh huh. But I think most Met fans, especially after the past couple of years, this one would be like, "We won. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That. That's fine." That's Are you it. kidding? We would. We would actually pay more for per ticket to cheat <laughs> to win. <laughs> and Will Pons would absolutely make make that happen if they could. So. Oh, absolutely. It's um. It. A lot of lot of sad memories for our Mets fans, and yeah. um. You know, we'll see what happens. There's a lot uh, in play. Uh, I think that um the Red Sox really have actually the bigger question of who's going to lead the, the Red Sox because they're more of a contender. Mm -hmm. um, 
and we, we are four weeks out from, you know, spring training. So it, it is the pressure's on. Yeah. And I think there's also a good good question in Houston, too, because not just uh, they still obviously have the players to be a contender, uh, but they're also, you know, the team that was the closest thing to a dynasty in the past decade or the past, I guess, since the Giants finally ended, stopped winning every even year. And now, I mean, you, you've still got all this talent, but nobody knows exactly what that talent is going to produce, presumably without this buzzer system or whatever else, or the trash cans. Trash or whatever cans, else yeah. Is it, is it wrong of me to think that I wasn't unhappy about the Houston Astros getting caught? Now, I was unhappy that we didn't break the story. I was uh, very jealous of the Athletic for breaking that story. I thought they did a great job. I was sort of satisfied that they got caught. Um, they are the only team besides the Rangers who don't um, celebrate pride. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they play, um, dirty. And I think that before I found out about the cheating scandal and I just, I was rooting against them the entire world series and national and uh, American league series. So the nationals won. Yay. And, um, now the, uh, the Dodgers are the other team I felt sorry for actually, because, you know, oh, they keep losing, <laughs> they kept yeah. losing to the Astros and the, uh, LA city council is trying to, uh, pass a bill that appeals to Major League Baseball to retroactively declare the Dodgers the 2017 and 2018 world champions, which, yeah, shoot your shot. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I th- the Houston thing t- is the culmination of this seemingly months-long gigantic heel turn or just kind of revelation of a heel turn in that organization that started with almost immediately after beating the Yankees in the ALCS, where everybody was in the process of celebrating Jose Altuve hitting the walk-off home run off of Chapman. And then not 24 hours later is mm-hmm. what the Brandon Taubman revelations hit Twitter. And that's when everybody started realizing, oh, there's some deep institutional rot at the core of this organization that has nothing to do with cheating even. It just has to do with like actual treatment of other human beings. And the cheating is really kind of um, almost an of course at this point that if this is what your organizational philosophy is when it comes to just addressing a woman wearing a domestic violence awareness bracelet, do you think you have any scruples at all when it comes to doing whatever it takes to win? Of course not. The fact that it took them so long to realize their mistake in that particular scandal, it, it informed me that they do have problems and I was actually surprised to see them do the firing so swiftly just because of how they handled that mess. Right. I think that swift firing is almost in direct reaction to how they handled the Taubman problem, which was, you know, a function of total or organizational hubris at that point where they felt because they were the toast of baseball and because they were the, the organization that everybody was looking to is this is how you do things in the year 2019 that they could get away with doing anything they wanted. That it, it was kind of the classic, uh, almost, it, it, it's the stereotypical Silicon Valley mindset, which is where they got some of their, their ideas. And then from finance, uh, from the McKinsey consulting organization as well. But that sense that we're successful and powerful enough that we can get away with anything and we will until someone stops us. And well, the Taliban- I was going to say, who do they think they are? The Yankees? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I Yankees- grew up in the I grew up in the Steinbrenner era. Okay. Right. And uh, you know, 73, 70, uh, um, 69, 73, and 86 were all great years. But every other year, the Yankees were this dominant force. And then you know, the Yankees sucked at some point. I remember then the Yankees sucked too. But yeah, 
Late let's 80s, face it, they, they got, yeah. yeah, exactly. But they got, they got into this groove where, you know, they just could not, they, they could not not win. They won everything. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, it built up this head of steam that, you know, Steinbrenner could do no wrong in everyone's right. eyes. And uh, they did a lot of wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Steinbrenner certainly did, got, did enough wrong to get banned from baseball for a few years mm-hmm. in the early 90s. But that was also coinciding with when the Yankees were at their worst. Right. And Yankee fans were perfectly fine with that. It's, it's only because of the late 90s renaissance that was started because he was away from the Yankees that people now view him as a positive force for that team. That you take that away, and what does he have? You know, a couple titles in the 70s, which was great, but what would he have done since then? Uh, no, it's very true. It's, it's funny that um, you remove the, the king, and um, when they do well with his absence, he gets the credit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course, because that's, but, that's but, the point yeah, of my, my it's, good to be the course, it's good to be the king. Um, but my analogy is that, you know, the Astros got their heads too big. And yes. now the question is, will they be humbled? Will they actually learn from this? Or are they going to basically trot along? I mean, what are they going to do with that room? I mean, they're going to turn it into like a, a sauna. Uh, <laughs> um, all those monitors. There's a lot of, lot of electronics there. Um, but can we go back a little bit? Ken? Sure. Baseball has always been about stealing signs and trying to get one up on the on the competition. It's not just baseball, too. I mean, look at the Patriots, for goodness sake. Right. But but technology really has changed that art into something that we all see as unscrupulous. Do you ever see us basically competing in sports, specifically baseball, in a way in which either technology or cheating is not involved? Isn't it just a new challenge to those who cheat? to find another way not to get caught? Yeah, it's, of course, uh, you, you will never eradicate cheating from baseball because especially when there's so much incentive to do it and when the rewards for winning are are so so astronomical to, I guess, inadvertently use a pun here. But uh, I would venture to guess that everybody involved with the 2017 Astros and certainly most Astros fans would say, yeah, of course it was worth it. And, and if you're an Astros fan, I... To a certain extent, I don't blame you. Uh, that's got to be far and away the best baseball memory you've ever been given to this point. And yeah, it's going to always be associated with this. But I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't want to go forward like assuming maybe somebody found some similar scandal that erupted around the 2016 Cubs. There's only so much love I could take away from that team based on what they gave me, and so I, I can understand that standpoint as from uh, as, as a player and a fan, honestly, that, uh, and, and I, I, I have a thought that is, uh, in relation to jump off of, uh, what you just said. I think I should also open the show at some point too. Shouldn't I? So let's, let's, should I, oh, I, thought, I thought this was the end. Oh, are oh, we done? Yeah. yeah. It should be like a Python <laughs> episode where I do the credits right at the very end. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so this is, uh, the three strikes you're out podcast. You are now 12 minutes into it at this point. Uh, my name is Ken Schultz, part of the Outsports Podcast Network. I am a contributing writer for Outsports, Baseball Prospectus, and Cubs Den. The other voice you are hearing is my managing editor and the woman responsible for me having this damn thing. So uh, Dawn Ennis, who is a contributor to Outsports, managing editor, and co-host of the Transporter Room on this very network with Carly Webb. Dawn can be found on Twitter at Life After Dawn and at Transporter Room. That's Transporter Room without the O's. Uh, so uh, we will jump off what you just said in a second, but I assume you're here to talk to me about uh, Mike Piazza Drive, right? 
That's no, I, oh, actually, um, this is really awkward for that wonderful introduction. But Ken, um, we've been looking at the budget, and um, you know, it's just it's a really tough time. And we'll pause. <laughs> I knew they were going to buy us. Bloody hell. <laughs> and I thought, gee, this podcast opportunity seems like a really good time for me to lay down the axe. No, um, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed your bonus. No, <laughs> we are we are very, very lucky to have the uh, stylings of Ken uh, with us. And uh, Ken Schultz, I will tell you that the only thing that you do that um, I wish I could do because um, you do a lot of things, but oh, the yeah. only thing I'm really jealous of is that you have put snark to a level that I never thought it could be risen to. I, I just, <laughs> I, I'm in awe of the level of snark that you are able to achieve. And I just wanted to ask, how is it that you became such a snark meister? Uh, I, well, first of all, it's, is, is it bad to respond to that by genuinely saying, that's such a kind thing to say? Uh, I mean, just... If to get to this level, if this is 20 years of open mic nights and one nighter shows in hotel bars in Spring Lake, Michigan, for people who don't want to hear coming out stories. And uh, yeah, this is, this is a lifetime of abuse at the hands of America's audiences. Uh, like now, every comic, it, it comes from pain. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Good yes. comedy comes from pain. And uh, exactly. Oh, yeah. And I, 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 I just got astronomical, by the way. Um, <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. The time no, I'm, I am here to talk about um, everything but Mike Piazza Drive. Um, <laughs> I think I'm still upset at Mike for, um, you know, his relationship with Elaine and Jerry. Um, <laughs> it, it's 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 it still hurts. And, um, you know, I will I will say this, that I am a Mets fan in mourning today. But just like every other day. Every day that ends in Y is a day for Mets fans to mourn. It's almost like a surprise when we win. It's like, oh, but we'll probably lose tomorrow. <laughs> it's the one thing that brings you all together. And, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so to, to jump off your earlier uh, point before I rudely interrupted by giving the credits. Uh, so here's a thought that I had about maybe 45 minutes ago as, as this whole thing was kind of unfolding in my mind that Back when baseball expanded instant replay in 2014, they had the option at the time that they were looking at, I think, at a couple of different way, a couple of different systems. One of them was to institute the manager's challenge, which is what they have now, similar to the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I think the other that they were seriously considering was having someone in a central command in New York who would monitor games and then would just buzz in to let them know, hey, we need to take a second look at this just to make sure you got that call right. And baseball decided, well, the NFL is doing manage, or doing coaches challenge and the NFL is the most popular sports league on the planet. So I think we got to go with that. And I think honestly, they were, they were so eager to institute a system similar to what the NFL has because it is the most popular league in the world that I'm not sure they considered what the ramifications would have been for the, the potential side effect controversies like this, or, or I guess the, uh, the inviting the oath, <laughs> can't quite think of the word, the, the, uh, having a monitor the action that the is centered yeah. on the catcher signs the entire time mm -hmm. in a sport where let's face it, you know, sign stealing has been a part of the game's history as long as there's been a game. Right. I'm not sure that. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's like everything that baseball does, that they don't consider the long-term ramifications of something like that. They just kind of go with, well, this seems popular. And then all of a sudden, five or six years later, those long-term ramifications blow up in their face. They also look at it as, will this speed up the game, right. keep viewers interested, and make us more money? If they have an innovation, it has to hit those three bases. It has to be, will it speed up the game? Will it keep viewers both in the stands and at home, mostly on home, uh, uh, interested? And will it make us more money? And I, I, I can't remember them really instituting anything that, that makes things better just because we want to make the game better. Right. Um, doesn't Joe Torrey sort of have that job, though? Of yes. Being yes. the overseer? That's his exact job. It's, uh, they refer to him as the chief disciplinarian. I don't remember what exactly his full official corporate title is. But yeah, that. And really, it's probably not surprising that when you have a man who is, I think, in his mid 70s at this point, being the one that's in charge of discipline, that, yeah, he might not consider the uh, ramifications of technology to the extent that someone who is, let's say, 40 years younger might have. So again, yeah, that, that's baseball who's honoring, you know, one of the all time greats by putting him in that position, but he might really not be the best for this role at this point going Joe forward. Joe Torrey is 79 years old. Good Lord. I mean, he could yeah. run for president. <laughs> <laughs> he's almost old enough. Yeah. Um, he's about one heart attack away. I think it, it's, it's sad to, it's sad for me that um, baseball has not embraced technology in a way that would make the game more thrilling. I could think of a, a, a dozen innovations off the top of my head that could involve technology. And the greatest innovation they've come up with so far is mic'd. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> hey, let's mic one of the outfielders. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting to have him talking while we're waiting for the ball to be hit to him. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like to that point that the one thing that they have embraced technology wise going forward is going to be related to gambling. So that's going to open up a whole other can of worms that I'm sure that they have not prepared for if the past couple of weeks have been any indication whatsoever. Very true. And I, I would think that, again, gambling involves money. Um, cheating involves money. All of this comes from money. Baseball is all about money. Right. How do we and, and, and I'll give you one more thing. Why are players not coming out who are gay? I yeah. think it might have something to do with the money. A little bit. Absolutely. A little bit. Yeah. A little and, bit. Uh, and uh, I think the fact that baseball is, by nature, still one of the most conservative of, of the major sports and draws a lot of its player base from kind of these more rural or southern parts of the country that, uh, I mean, it's stereotypes, but uh, there are probably places where being openly gay or outwardly gay is not nearly as accepted as it would be in the cities they play in. So I think that uh, having to deal with your teammates for you know, 180 days a year is probably still a fear that's keeping a lot of guys in the closet because, I mean, you, you hear occasional things that even in, in the sport is in more enlightened times, but you still hear occasional things coming out about guys who are scared about what their teammates would say and occasionally hearing a teammate say something really ignorant and and that still registers, I think. Also, if I gather um, 50 millionaires in a room and I say, well, all the millionaires who are Democrats or progressives, please raise your hand. I ain't going to see a lot of hands. Um, right. These right. millionaire millionaire baseball players are themselves conservative. So, um, you know, doesn't mean you can't have a gay conservative. I mean, there's lots of people on that side of the fence. I just <laughs> don't think that that attitude, that political bent tends to be more of our community. Um, yeah. 
And the, the, I think to, the, to that as well, um, part of, especially now, part of being conservative seems to be about kind of ensconcing yourself within the conservative bubble and kind of only listening to conservative voices. And a site like ours, which is trying to promote the idea that it's inclusion is great and is you would be much more accepted today than you've ever been if you'd come out in a sports setting. I'm not sure how much our site registers with people like that. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know that that message would actually get through enough of the conservative bubble. I, I could be wrong. I would love to be wrong. But I, I wish I you were. I, I would say that libertarians have the greatest shot of being LGBT only because libertarians believe in get your hands off my government, you know, get mm -hmm. your hands off me, leave me alone. I want to live my life. I want to do what I want. And um, I bet quite a few libertarian conservative uh, uh, LGBT and specifically trans people. Mm. Um, I, I don't get it, but I can understand that better than I can understand our log cabin Republican friends right. who are endorsing Trump for president. Um, let me and ask you this. Yeah. And I know this is your podcast. You're supposed to ask me questions, but I'm going to ask sure. you a question. Go ahead. Shoot. What is it about cheating that makes it so attractive? Because I may be like the outlier here, but I play according to the rules mm -hmm. and I've always played according to the rules. And I remember even in frickin' grade school when we had a big snowball fight and we got caught and the teacher said, all right, who threw, the, who threw a snowball? Step forward. <laughs> and I stepped forward and I thought everybody else was going to step forward and nobody else did. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I was stunned because I thought, well, of course you're supposed to step forward. So what is it about cheating that makes it so attractive? Wouldn't it be better to win because you were good? Yeah. Oh, of course. In, in a perfect world. Absolutely. And, and. I think, uh, based on your story, I, I would say, knowing the way I was back in grade school, I would have also been a kid who stepped forward, except I would have also been crying. So there, <laughs> I there, was crying. I was yep. crying. There we go. There we oh, go. I was crying. Oh, oh. Um, I was think, crying. <laughs> <laughs> I think in terms of, especially, again, at this highest level, it, it's partly a personality type thing, where we're talking about people who have uh, competitive instinct is um, the thing that drives you into sports, I think. And then to get to this level of sports in particular, your competitive instinct has to be at an almost unimaginable level. Like, um, and, and I think part of that is then the drive to win almost becomes a drive to win no matter what, I have to beat you. And for some guys, I think there also gets to be a point, and especially when it also beating you is what my living and what my job depends on. At yeah. whatever cost, yeah. yeah. I, I am uh, not a man. I am not a man unless I win, unless right. I crush you, unless I defeat you, and whatever it takes to get that is justifiable. Yeah. And I think oh, that's I that. <laughs> I don't miss that. With that option of, yeah, I, if, I can take this advantage that uh, that will help me beat you and nobody is going to know about it in the immediate term, then yeah, absolutely. I uh, 100% want that advantage. And almost every pro athlete, I think, wants a competitive advantage over the others. I think most of them, at least at a, uh, at a base level, would like to believe that the competitive advantage just is their particular skill set. But I, I would venture to guess, too, that when you're then presented with this team full of guys who are as good, if not better than you, you still want to do everything possible to beat them. And if sometimes 
when you make that uh, that rationalization in your mind of, okay, uh, these guys might actually be as good as me, you don't ever want to approach a game with that mindset. So sometimes I'll bet it's guys taking that, that route too, that, sure. yeah, these guys are talent-wise as good as I am. I need to beat them still. So, yep, this is what we're going to do. Let's get this video system in place. Let's let's Or steroids. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Whatever we can get away with. Yeah. You know, reflecting. Uh, give you a historical example, if I can jump off that. Oh, uh, yeah, please. Yeah. It's sometimes it's the just the desperation you find yourself in the middle of a season. And and uh, best example of that is the 1951 New York Giants, which we didn't mm. find out 50 years later. But that scheme was Leo DeRocher and the Giants found themselves in the middle of, I think, June, something like eight or nine games back of the Dodgers. And at that point, you know, that's pretty much writing off your season. So you've still got a half a season to play. And DeRocher was exactly the kind of guy I'm talking about where whatever it takes to beat you, I'm going to do it. And so he presented himself uh, to the players uh, one day in a team meeting that, yeah, the Dodgers just kicked our ass. You want to stop that? Okay. One of my coaches has a spyglass. Let's see if we can set up a system where he's out in center field and let's see if we can get the signs from the, for teams for the rest of the season. And sure enough, they became, for 50 years, one of the most inspirational stories in baseball history, which is another incentive that unless you get caught, you are going to be celebrated like you've never felt before in your life. I mean, the 2017 World Series, up until we fit, found this out with the Mike Fire story, that was mm-hmm. going to go down as one of the all-time series classics, certainly of this past 20 years, like other than the Cubs winning in two, 2016, yeah. off the top of my head, uh, I can't think of a better one. No, but I can tell you, when you mentioned DeRocher and the Giants, um, my father, of blessed memory, gone 13 years now, uh, to his dying day, could not listen to the famous world broadcast of the Giants mm-hmm. win the pennant. If you would hear it, something might break. Uh, yeah. you, you didn't want to be with an arm creature of him. He was the kind of Dodgers fan that could not even watch the Los Angeles Dodgers play because he was so angry um, at O'Malley. And um, oh, yeah. the, the, the way the Giants won that World Series was just for him. Uh, it was like our 9-11. <laughs> it really was. It was that serious. He took it that seriously that the Giants beat the, uh, the Dodgers. Oh, sure. Um, let, me, let, me, let me shift gears, though. New England, where I live, is used to winning, okay? Yeah. The Patriots aren't playing. Tom Brady's about to probably become a free agent and leave our glorious region. Mm-hmm. The Boston Red Sox need to find a new manager. Alex Cora is leaving in disgrace. And of all things, we are still not, you know, champions of either basketball or hockey. It's it's a really sad time to be a New Englander. And if such a thing can be allowed to exist. My God. I, I just, you know, it's like we have to have something to hold over the rest of the country to earn our place as the hated, the hated region of the world. Um, There's always anger and racism. Yes, that's true. Uh, well, we're good at that. Yep. <laughs> and getting people lost. Um, if you ever come <laughs> to Boston, I guarantee you, wherever you're going, you will get lost first. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, really, the, the, the only way you can ask for directions in Boston is, where is my wooden leg? Can somebody <laughs> help me find it? I think you get a Dropkick Murphy's reference, did you? Yeah, yeah. I am referencing Dropkick Murphys. I love the Dropkick Murphys. Oh, God. I love it. Uh, let me I ask you it. this, Don Ennis. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, 
So Carlos Beltran obviously mm -hmm. is not going is been dropped is as a New York Mets manager before he ever managed a game. And I would uh, argue that this puts him in at the very least top five Mets managers of all time. <laughs> Up there with Bobby Valentine. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he already had the mustache. Um. <laughs> and uh, so uh, so. We, you told me uh, earlier on our Slack channel that uh, the rumor is that uh, Rojas is about to be elevated, yeah. which makes sense. Wilpons always go for loyalty. But Except would, for one thing. Rather... Think, think about it. They passed over him for Carlos Beltran. Mm -hmm. So take Carlos Beltran out of the picture. They didn't think he was ready when Carlos Beltran was picked. What makes him more ready now? He's still an untested manager. I would think that as much as he might be an insider with 13 or 14 years in the business and the Alou legacy, uh, Dominican Re uh, Republic uh, heritage, which would you know really help bring in more uh, players of diversity, they're going to go with a safer choice. I just think that the Wilpons are idiots who will <laughs> overreact to this and pick Showalter or some other mm. old hand just to stabilize things. And unfortunately, you know, Beltran put in a lot of work. He's been yeah. working. He's been he's been meeting with the trainers and with meeting with the scouts and he's been meeting with the people who are you know the little guys behind the scenes. Meeting with the really video room. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he wasn't setting up the video room. I had to sneak that in. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen. Here's the thing. I think Beltran will land somewhere someday. I think he's going to be sitting out the rest of the season. I don't think he's going to get a job anytime soon. At least not a manager job. But I do think that he'll come back to do something somewhere because, you know, this was this was tangentially um, affecting him. He wasn't the mastermind. Uh, those other guys are gone. I mean, forget yeah. it. Alice Cora, they're they're done. You, be, you better brush up on your car salesman skills. Uh, <laughs> but 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 I think Beltran will come back as something. And for now, I, I just think that the Mets are going to go the safe route because that's what they do. And mm -hmm. you know, it's so there's so much promise there that's just lost and crushed. And I. I am in mourning, as I said very, very early on. There's, there's so much promise there that's been lost in crush, I think, is the uh, secret verse of Meet the Mets. It's actually the you've, fourth verse that didn't make it to the record. You've seen the, you've seen the Family Guy episode. Uh, re refresh my memory, please. Uh, Stewie is at a Mets game. The announcer says, and it's opening day oh, at yes. uh, City Field. And you hear, you hear the crack of the bat, and the announcer says, and the Mets have lost the season. And the season's <laughs> over. <laughs> and Stewie throws his Mets hat down. Yeah. I mean, that's really, that's the Mets season. It's like opening yeah. day and you're out. It's yeah. done. If, if, it's any, if it's any help or consolation, that very same joke could have been written about the Cubs or the Red Sox 20 years ago and would have been much the same punchline. So, yeah, things can change. It's, it's the Rocky Four ending. I can change. You can change. We can all change. I will tell you a I will tell you a story that I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but I told you I was working in the New England when the curse was broken in 2004, mm. and we couldn't verify it, but we were told that after the World Series win, that funeral homes were flooded with people dying because they had <laughs> long, like, they had held on just oh, long God. enough to see a Red Sox victory. Yeah. Oh, I can die in peace now. <laughs> that that sounds like the most New England way to celebrate a long-awaited championship ever. Oh yeah, Uncle Billy, you know he <laughs> he held on for the end. Oh, poor poor Uncle Kenny and Aunt May, Aunt May, you know she loved her socks. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is uh, 
the Red Sox commemorative championship book as written by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Man, that's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, went back to highbrow. Deal with it. Uh, so who would you want as the Mets manager then? Uh, <sighs> do, you, do you think there's a good choice or do you really think that they're just going to have to kind of pick a sacrificial lamb for this year and then kind of start the process over again? Yeah, I'm not going to throw a name out there only because I know I'll be wrong and I hate being wrong, but I hate more the fact that um, no matter who I think they should pick, they'll pick somebody else. I just don't have a name. I'd like to I'd like to think that they would go with someone inside the organization with four weeks to go just because I think it'll be easier for that person instead of coming in and having to learn. Uh, everyone's name and you know where's the men's room and <laughs> all, the, all the stupid stuff you know i mean mm-hmm. um port st Lucie is going to be a very strange place this uh this spring i'll tell you yeah. uh i would love to see the mets um find uh someone who's young um someone who uh is going to tap that energy that was built up last year um but the real problem uh remains stupid things like the mets always take the first strike <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like the Mets uh, uh, don't know how to build uh, with a salary cap. They just don't. And, you know, there were so many um, great trades in the offseason that they could have been part of. Maybe they still can in the up until the trade deadline. But it's just I, I just see right now as a, a huge setback for our Mets. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, I, I, I'll be I'll be honest about one thing. I have no idea where the Cubs are right now. So. Tell me a little bit about where the Cubs are and what your expectations are for the Cubs. Yeah. Well, uh, remember that Cubs team that lost the nine games in a row in September yeah. and uh, ended up finishing. Same in- team. Yeah. That, that's pretty much the way the Cubs are right now. It is. Yeah. It's been two just weird and bizarre off seasons in a row where you think going into it, it's like, okay, they've got a couple holes and starting pitching. They could use some shoring up in the bullpen, but this is still the foundation of the team that, you know, made our dreams come true in 2016 and is capable of making another run at it. And they just don't do anything in the off season. And it's very just, it, it's, it's a very frustrating stasis, which means the Cubs have adopted the philosophy of my dating life, which is just <laughs> horrendous. So you're, you're basically trapped in a, uh, in a, um, uh, one of those 2001 capsules, the, uh, uh Suspended animation. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm trapped, trapped in, in, in a castle listening to uh, the, the dulcet tones of Pat Hughes tell us, well, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. And that description is brought to you by Gold Coast Bank. Fans won't strike out with Gold Coast Bank. See, for the Mets, the Mets um, they need a, above a calendar and a clock. The calendar <laughs> is because they started their run for the uh, playoffs after they were almost eliminated. Um, so... It was really a great effort, yeah. but nobody told them that they should have done this when the All-Star yeah. break was happening. Yeah. Um, man, they got people on board when they did, though. That that was for that three or four weeks. You felt the energy every time you saw a Mets game at City Field. They And on the road, they, they really were on fire. It's just that nobody told them that the deadline is before the playoff teams are chosen. <laughs> um, and then the clock is because... When the Mets uh, uh, are playing, you really can go for a walk or you can mow your lawn or, you know, make love to your partner. You have time (laughs) because when you come back, the Mets will be doing exactly the same thing they were doing when you left. Mm -hmm. Um, They just they don't have 
uh, how do you put it, impulsivity or consistency. It's just it's it's the best example of why the MLB has to work on speeding up the game. Mm-hmm. And you and I have talked back and forth about ways they might be able to do that. Um, and I agree that you know none of my ideas are any good, but I would like them to just try something. You know, set, set a player on fire when they start <laughs> running the bases. <laughs> um, you know, put ants in their pants. Uh, uh, give the pitchers, uh, you know, balls that are too hot to hold on to. Um, <laughs> something, something that will just move this game along because it's interminable. And as a Mets fan, I just got to say, um, you know, I'm watching the 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 guys with the peanuts more than I'm watching the guy in the field hmm. because the guy with the peanuts, man, he's got a great arm <laughs> and he's got a great, uh, you know, approach and he makes his way around that stadium much faster than any of our players are getting around the bases. It's sort of sad. If, if this were a hot take podcast or any sports radio show anywhere in the country, my next question would be, if you could set one Met player on fire, which one would it be? Don't know why. I went <laughs> Mike Piazza. <laughs> yeah, Mike Piazza. Oh, boy. Oh, there's a direction I could go there that I don't think I'm <laughs> no, going no, to. No, 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 no. Let's not do that, please. Yeah. Um, to that point, though, to, to the, the serious point that you're making, and I think I've said to that point about 20 times in this podcast, so I guess that's going to be my T-shirt after this. But um, one of the reasons why time of game is longer than it's ever been is actually related quite a bit to to the sign-stealing scandal is be, because teams are so, in many cases, justifiably paranoid about teams like Houston having their signs from the get-go or teams like the Red Sox. That's We're having all of these moments where batters step out and then catchers have to reset the sequence that they're going through and then decide, okay, that sequence might be stolen. So we're going to a new sequence. Then pitchers have to step off. And that's why games are now at a three hour over a three hour pace on average, that that's actually a big part of it because of that paranoia. And -hmm. because players are always worried that, Oh God, does, does this guy have my signs? Maybe we better change. And if baseball can figure out a way and you would think as most people on Twitter are suggesting that having wearable technology between the catcher and the pitcher would be a big part of that. That would go some, some distance, I think, to at least cutting it time of game down to something close to what we remember from even like the mid nineties, I think. To that point. Um, hey, <laughs> I want to sell part. shirts. We have out sports to that point. We can change <laughs> the name of the podcast from three strikes you're out to that point, to that point. But to that point, I did mention earlier that they're way behind on technology. Technology is more than just miking a player in the outfield. Yes. Wearable technology, um, being able, maybe maybe the guy could have uh, special goggles that, you know, electronically, you know, tell him what the, maybe they don't give signs. Yeah. <laughs> what about What about if they don't use signs? I think the catcher can pretty much follow where the ball's going to go. You don't necessarily have to have signs. It's it's such a baseball thing that, well, we've been doing signs since the late 19th century. It was good enough for Dan Bruthers and Cap Anson. It's good enough for me. And then, yes. of course, the answer is, well, we also have black people playing the game now. So that wasn't good enough. <laughs> and, they're wearing, and they're wearing different pants. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Thank Knickerbockers, you. yes. But but um, to, to, to that point, um, yeah. I've got to say it every time now. My catchphrase. Oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting for my entire career. Taking please, off. Please don't start with the sexist stuff. Oh, oh, oh baby. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> I am your boss. Um, yeah. I am actually quoting Len Casper every time a Cub hits an exciting home run. That's, I'll, I'll, I'll go uh, with that. This put whole it in the one. books. Yes. Uh, there we go. 
<laughs> my, my, my question to you is, if they don't um, make radical changes, which I think we can predict that the MLB will not do radical changes, yeah, what changes radical. what changes do you see them doing, if anything? Because they've got to do something, right? Because I will bet you right now, in some major league office, there's a guy saying, we got to get rid of all this equipment, or we got to figure out how we can not get caught. Because mm-hmm. it, it can't just be the Astros. Not at it all. can't just be Alex Cora and the Boston Red Sox. And whether Carlos was setting up a video room or not, I'm sure the Mets, um, you know, are making sure that whoever they hire isn't going to do it again. So mm-hmm. what changes do you think MLB will institute to ensure that there isn't another one of these? Knowing the way that MLB thinks and acts anytime there's a crisis of this nature, my guess is that the first change they're going to announce is that they're going to – they already say that they have monitors, like, overseeing every video room at this point – that now they're going to double down and like either hire another monitor to monitor the monitor, uh, which sounds like <laughs> something out of Catch-22, which would be delightful. Again, I'm here with you. English major, get big workout on this podcast. Or they're going to just announce that they're going to be retraining these monitors to be extra vigilant and to look out. These, these are the things to look out for. And it's going to be just an empty gesture and it's going to accomplish nothing and they're not really going to change until probably at least another year or two of a whole bunch of people who are smart about this saying, hey, there's actual wearable technology that could help you get around this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be the same kind of thing with the, the way that, that they've gradually worked their way toward the concept of an electronic strike zone, where for mm. years we've been seeing this on TV and we've been begging MLB to take the human element out of home plate umpiring out of the game. And it's just until this past off season where we're starting to hear that, okay, some minor leagues are now going to be adopting this and we're going to start looking at this for like a 2022 implementation in major league baseball. And I would venture to guess that wearable technology between the catcher and the pitcher are going to follow that exact same pattern. And speaking of home plate umpires, that reminds me uh, in our Slack channel yesterday, we were discussing our (laughs) mutual love of police squad and the naked gun so I will again ask you the question, trivia question I dropped on you uh, in, in that channel last uh, yesterday evening. In The Naked Gun, uh, do you know the name of the, of the umpire who gave us the immortal line, you can't throw an umpire out of the game in the middle of the baseball scene? Uh, you know, I, I, I did have to watch the scene again because yep. as much as I remember the movie, uh, all I remembered was, it's Enrico Palazzo. Of course, which is the greatest one-line role of anybody in the history of movies. Like, if I could pick just a single one-line role to have, 100 times out of 100, it would be, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. That guy rules. I love that guy. So I, I, had, to, I had to watch uh, the scene again. I, it took me a couple of times. I had, to, I had to find a couple of different YouTube things before I could find the right one. Um, but uh, what I remember was that I uh, looking, where are my notes? Where are my notes? Oh gosh, darn it! Um, okay, here we go. So, so I remember Ron Luciano. All right. Yes. He's when you see him, you know his face. Okay. Right. So I know he doesn't say it, but I know who, which which umpire is Ron. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm 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 going with my guess was I think it was Ken Kaiser. Hmm. Did I get it yeah. right? No, no. Ah. Uh, yeah. I mean, which they one? were which one said the line. Uh, that would be, and you uh, might not believe when I tell you, that is Country Joe West. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I did yeah. not know. I All did, right, Joe I West. 
I, I saw his name in the credits one time when I was rewatching it for like the Cowboy 25th. Cowboy Joe, Country Joe. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, he, oh. obviously he's missing the 20 pounds of chin waddle, so it's kind of hard <laughs> to recognize him at this point. But yeah, yeah. You know, we, you, have, you ought to have footnotes for this show uh, somewhere <laughs> because of all the, the deep, dark cuts and references you have here. But yeah. it's, it's, a great, it's a great movie, and there's so much stuff in it. And um, uh, I, I do love the fact that uh, it's a baseball movie is, you mm-hmm. know, not in a traditional sense, not like Bull Durham or, or um, any of the other greats that uh, are out there. But it is a great baseball movie. Yeah. <laughs> and that entire scene, from the moment he starts singing the national anthem until yes. the moment where the lady lands on Reggie Jackson from the upper deck, is is I one must kill the queen. gut laugh for me. Yeah, I must <laughs> kill the queen. Which, by the way, perfect casting in terms of uh, ball players of that era. If you're going to pick one guy who would be hypnotized to kill the queen, Reggie Jackson was <laughs> whoever thought of that. Just so well done. I am I am sad it was done at uh, Anaheim um, instead of at uh, Dodger Stadium, though. Well, the the they're wearing the Angels uniforms, but the baseball. The actual baseball scenes are filmed at Dodger Stadium. Like, Did that they? Was, okay. Yeah. I couldn't tell that from the clip. I loved it. I thought it was Dodger Stadium, and then I saw them all wearing Angels uniforms. Right. So. Yeah. Which I maybe they thought that that was also an in joke for LA baseball fans. I'm not sure why they went with that route, but but yeah, as a kid, I remember thinking, no, that that's Dodger Stadium, and thinking, oh, I is that cool that I know that? Or... <laughs> on a on brief aside, um, every year Outsports has a conference, and last year's Outsports conference called Outsports Pride, was in Los Angeles on the campus of UCLA. And one of the events was we had a day at Dodger Stadium. Nice. I've been able to run around the outfield. I got a tour of the beautiful museum inside Dodger Stadium. I got to sit in the dugout, uh, the home dugout. Oh, boy. And and just to be running around the field in the outfield, I mean, what a thrill. I got to tell you. I don't know how many baseball parks you've been to in your lifetime, but I just I, I, I love that. It was wonderful. And uh, I'm hoping we'll to do that with the Phillies this year. We're going to be in Philadelphia nice. June oh, yeah. 11th through 13th. Uh, Citizens Bank Park is great, too. Yeah. If you get a chance that haven't you, you been. Will... this will be yeah. my first yeah. time. Uh, I have, to, I have to go there and tell them my name is Dell. <laughs> Dell NS. Yes. Nice. Yes. Picked up on it. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> uh uh, yeah, I think uh, my total is 21 active parks and I think 32 total, something like that. Wow. Uh, yeah, you did mention, yeah. You did mention to me on Slack that you've been to Shea, the yes. toilet bowl of the MLB. I was going to ask. So a lot of Mets fans that I know really revere Shea Stadium still uh, as, as, as if it were, you know, their, their Wrigley Field or Fenway. And to an extent, I understand because – most of the great moments in New York Mets history, and there are, as, as much as you, we spent this podcast arguing there are not, uh, but most of them did take place in Shea Stadium. So I understand that emotional connection. But I, yeah, I went there in, uh, I think it was summer of 2000, and oh. I remember Mike Piazza hitting a home run that almost hit the tent outside mm-hmm. uh, the, on the left field fence. Yep. But yeah. what I also remember is that it also just felt like, yeah, this is like Riverfront Stadium if they took the center field seats out, essentially. It was, it, it, I mean, the Beatles played there. I mean, yeah, it was an amazing that. place. Um, we called the toilet bowl only because it really did stink. Um, <laughs> but but all my childhood memories, I've been going to baseball games since I was, as long as, long as I can remember, at Shea Stadium. And I brought my kids there. 
And I will tell you this, um, the most important memories are those with my dad. Um, mm, yeah. And he uh, became a Mets fan after the Dodgers left, so I became a Mets fan. Mm. Um, I, I think that one of the things about uh, Shay is that it wasn't pretending to be anything other than a place to watch baseball or music. You know, I, I saw Billy Joel there, too. Mm. Um, there, there's, there's just a special memory of, of Shay in my heart that City Field will never replace her. Fenway or any of the other places, and when it's when it's when it's the memories that are that are filling the place, not the the seats or the granite or the the metal poles, um, it, it makes a difference. Um, I would say that my favorite memory of Shea was taking my dad to the Diamond Club, and uh, meeting uh, Cleon Jones, and having my dad feel like he was a big shot mm. because he got to rub elbows with uh, real Mets players, and um, just. Uh, just being able to do that for him, to pay him back for all the wonderful memories was very sweet to me and very important to me. Um, but the park itself, no, it wasn't, wasn't anything special. It was uh, a municipal stadium that was named after a dead guy. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I really I don't have a connection to the place as much as to the memories. Mm-hmm. I will say that I think City Field is a lovely stadium it and is. it does evoke Ebbets Field. And unlike Yankee Stadium, which feels more like a museum, City Field is a really great place to watch a ball game. Yes. City Field is a baseball park. Yankee Stadium yep. is a place where the Yankees show off that we're the fucking New York Yankees and we spent $1.5 billion on this, and so should you. But isn't it funny, even though they did that, Monument Park is still inaccessible and in this little dark corner somewhere. Right, and, right. And, because it's not a stadium club. It's not right, a place right. for the people who, who are spending $1,000 on a ticket. So It's, it's just sad to me. Yeah, it's sad to me. Um, if you ever come up to Hartford, the Yard Goats have a great place called uh duncan donuts park which is of a course. fun place to watch a baseball and um i i would love to take you there um i have, I, uh, I i uh saw it on many a bus ride up to uh boston from New York back when I lived yeah there. and fenway is a great place i've taken my uh, to my two sons to see games at fenway um uh i i love fenway i i i don't think that place will ever really change i've never sat in the green oh. monster seats mm-hmm. i'll have to do that sometime um, uh, what's my other favorite one? Uh, I went on a very important date with my late wife when we were still dating at, um, uh, Camden Yards and oh, nice. she had to get us, um, last minute tickets. So we were sitting so high up that when I looked over the railing behind us, like, you know, the field straight ahead. And if you look, turn around, you can see outside. I saw helicopters flying below us. Um, <laughs> so that's how high we were. Um, mm-hmm. But beautiful park, uh, really fun. One of the first of the new renovation of new generation of parks. Redefine um, what park could be. Yes, I agree. I agree. And you know, there's something special. I just wish it wasn't so damn expensive. And I don't know what you do about that because that's just how it is. Um, yeah. people, it's so much cheaper people, to watch it on a big screen TV. Right. Yeah, it's expensive because owners have found out people are willing to pay those prices for it. So that's supply that's the only demand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, my favorite thing about Camden Yards, uh, my favorite thing about its design is that it feels like the way it looks, like those right field stands would go on forever if that warehouse wasn't there to run into yes. them. Yes. And I, I just love how they incorporated it, almost like the warehouse bumps up against the ballpark. Mm-hmm. It, Coors Field is fun. Field. I've been to Coors yes. Field. I've never been. That's, uh, that's And uh, Trop, Trop Field, Tropicana Field. I went to Tropicana Field when it was still a hockey stadium, uh, nice. the, the Thunderdome. Um, and I will say... Since you're a baseball fan, if you don't make a pilgrimage to spring training games in Florida, you're really missing out. Um, they used to call it Legends Field, but now it's called Steinbrenner Field. 
Of Yankees course. have a beautiful park right across from uh, the some well, it was a sombrero. Now it's just uh, Raymond James Stadium. Mm-hmm. But a beautiful park in Tampa. Um, I've not been, believe it or not, to Point St. Lucie. I've never gone mm-hmm. to see the Mets. But I lived in Clearwater, and there's so many stadiums. You throw a stick and you hit a baseball park. The Phillies are there in Dunedin. Um, it's just a great place to go in the spring. And uh, plus it's warm. So yes. take 75 and drive down and uh, go visit go visit baseball heaven. That, that, that feels like such a Yankee thing, too, that uh, the ballpark used to be called Legends Field until they decided the only legend worth memorializing is Steinbrenner. <laughs> it is a legend in his own mind. Yes. All right. <laughs> I grew uh, up in the Billy Martin era, so I can only tell you that um, huh. I, that's, that to me was baseball, was Billy Martin getting fired every other week. <laughs> yes. I, I, as a kid, I still remember how that how that would happen occasionally. Yeah. Uh, uh, before we go, let me, uh, ask one more Mets nostalgia question since okay. you, your father up, uh, did your father have any memories of Casey Stengel managing the Mets that he would used to tell you about? Cause Casey is one of my all time favorite, just baseball historical figures in general. The memories that I have of my father and the, that era of the Mets were marvelous Marv Thornberry. Oh yeah. Caught a ball with his face. Um, <laughs> Uh, Alex Mion, uh, Mion, uh, who held the bat so high that he was choked up about halfway through um, mm-hmm. the stoke of the bat. Um, and uh, I'm, uh, uh, Gil Hodges. And what he told me about Casey Stengel was is that Casey was past his prime. Casey was basically retired, done. And they pulled him out of mothballs to mm-hmm. manage these Mets because – well, they needed somebody with a name, and yep. he was he was Yogi Berra before Yogi Berra was Yogi Berra. I mean, mm-hmm. he was full of these colloquialisms and yes. nonsensical statements, and that the team didn't really do anything other than exist and lose under Casey, um, but that you can't argue. In those days, you never knocked a legend like Casey. So um, I'm talking about in the press. I'm talking about yeah. us. Uh, but... Uh, I don't have any particular stories about Casey, and I, I was born in 64, so mm-hmm. even though I was old enough to have lived in that era, I don't have any memories of Casey Stengel. But um, he's from he's from an era of baseball that has long since been knocked into the ground and buried. Um, I, I would say that better than Casey Stengel's story would be my Joe DiMaggio story. Oh, please tell me, yeah. So my sister and I were um, models and commercial actors when we were kids. And we started at age four and one and uh, we uh, would go into the city and we'd audition for these commercials. And, you know, we'd go after school and if we got a commercial, we would miss a day of school. And my sister got a Mr. Coffee commercial. Oh, my goodness. And back in the day, in the 1970s, Joe DiMaggio earned his living as as the spokesperson for Mr. Coffee. Yep. I, I'm about where this is going. <laughs> if ever, if ever there was a cranky old man oh who my could God. not be made happy, who yeah. would yell at everyone, including a five-year-old girl, mm-hmm. it was Joe DiMaggio. Of so course. I am, I am the sister of mm-hmm. the only five-year-old I know who got yelled at by Jolton <laughs> Joe DiMaggio. Uh, <laughs> do you, do you remember specifically what he yelled at her for, other than maybe have enjoying life? Not knowing her lines. Of course. Oh, God. Yeah. She was five years old. 
God, yeah. Nothing sums up Joe D better than that. Man, what a miserable old bastard. Yeah, he was he was not happy about anything. And I'm sure he was making thousands and thousands of dollars more than whatever we made as kids. Um, But uh, he just could not be made happy. And uh, no cup of coffee in the world was going to make him happy. I, th- I think I remember a story reading in, in the uh, Richard Ben Kramer biography about him that came out about 20 years ago, that uh, in the infamous San Francisco earthquake in 1989 during the World mm-hmm. Series, uh, DiMaggio I remember at that time. And like one of the things he was most concerned about was going back into his house. And this was right after the earthquake. And people were saying, do not go inside. That We're That's worried right. about structural integrity. But he wanted to go and get a gigantic trash bag and just take it yes. out with him. And it was a trash bag just full of $100 bills that, that he just accrued over the years of yep. doing commercials. And he, he just wanted to have his money near him at all times, even in a moment where his entire community was shaken to the core by the biggest natural disaster in 90 years. And again, yeah, that that's Joe D right there. A just bitter old all man. The in the world and it's proof all the talent in the world can't make you happy. And that's, uh, so that's really the best way to end a podcast about the Mets, I think. <laughs> I would say that this has been an enjoyable trip, but to that point, <laughs> let's say goodbye. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, anything you'd like to plug uh, before we say goodbye, Don? Um, I would like you to know that um, Ken is working on a uh, deep dive into a group that we won't name, mm-hmm. but that is known throughout the LGBT community as a group that surreptitiously tries to get straights to support them through religion. And Ken is going to do something that you will want to read in Outsports. Yes. I'll promote that. Uh, I'll also promote that uh, the Transporter Room oh. is on this weekend. Yes, who's uh, your guest? On Outsports. Our guest is our new deputy manager, Alex Reamer. Awesome. Uh, we uh, found out after we started that he doesn't like science fiction. So that was about, <laughs> about a minute and a half of wow. our podcast, and then we just stopped. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, we t- we talked about we talked about the uh, uh, the b- many things that were happening in uh, trans inclusion fighting uh, s- something like seven states across the country that are trying to stop transgender athletes. Mm-hmm. We talked about Alex's uh, uh, Bostonian roots and all the things that were happening in Boston. And um, I think that the fun thing that we talked about was that did you know that Alex was a uh, star at age twelve and appeared on the Tonight Show? I did not know that. I've I've seen YouTube clips of him as like a, a kid reporter in the dugout, but I, That's I was not aware. That's what got him on the Tonight Show. Wow! And, and you'll hear him talk about it this weekend awesome. on the Transporter Room. That sounds great. I would honestly rather listen to that than watch any episode of the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. So yeah, I'm <laughs> definitely on board with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Don <laughs> <laughs> Ennis, I am guaranteed to have the time of my life on this podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Ken. All the best. You as well.